I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend... Life Stadium for you guys. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today, going through your Twitter questions, a little August mailbag edition. If you haven't had a chance yet, make sure to check out our previous two episodes on the feed. One with Brian Bassett talking about All things Jets ownership and our histories of covering this team and our expectations for this year. And our talk with Dalvin Osario about the Jamal Adams trade. Also, if you have not yet, make sure you are subscribed to our premium podcast, Badlands, co-hosted by myself and Connor Rogers. It is available at turnonthejets.podbean.com. It is $9.99 for a one-year subscription. Our 30th episode is dropping on the feed tomorrow. With Chris Sims, we're going to talk about Sam Darnold. How could you want to miss that? There is a 10-part audio docuseries on the feed. There is all types of interviews and information. There will be a season preview uh, pod of episodes coming out uh, as we get closer to September. So subscribe now at turnonthejets.podbean.com. And as always, make sure to subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. So I'm going to jump into about 10 or 15 questions you guys sent through uh, in the past few days, probably go for about 25 minutes. Uh, We'll be ramping up also with volume on this feed as well as actual games do get a little closer. Of course, we're going to have a modified version of what training camp normally is and a modified version of the preseason. Uh, But uh, as it stands now, the season is still scheduled to start on time with Jets-Bills week one. Uh, so that is about a month away. Crazily enough, uh, it, it is creeping up on us in what will be one of the most, if not the most, unique seasons in NFL history. First questions from Meigs214. What's one positive and one negative thing you'd bet your life on will happen in regards to the Jets' 2020 season on the field? Positive? I think we're going to leave this season, and I'm going to expand upon this a little bit because I did answer it on Twitter. We're going to leave this season feeling really good about the Makai Becton and Denzel Mims picks. As the first two picks of the Joe Douglas era, premium picks going to the offensive side of the ball. Those guys, I'm not saying they're going to have flawless rookie years. They're going to hit some bumps likely early in the year. They're going to get thrown in basically as starters from day one. I'm sure Becton is going to have... Uh, Some bumps in the road in pass protection. I'm sure Mims is going to have a a bit of a time adjusting uh, to NFL cornerbacks and the physicality that they play with. But I think they will develop throughout the year. And we're going to go into 2021 feeling really good about both those guys as starters. Really believing that Becton is going to be a cornerstone left tackle for this franchise. And that Mims is going to be a guy who could threaten for a thousand yards 
in his second or third season. So I, I feel really good about that. I think those guys are going to get a ton of playing time, a ton of opportunities as rookies. On the negative side, it goes back to you know the coach and the offensive coaching staff. I think we all say, look, I, I hope they do this with Le'Veon Bell, and I hope they do this with Chris Herndon, and I hope Sam's outside of the pocket more, and he gets more hands-on with the play calling. Gase is who he is. This is going to be his fifth year as a head coach. The trends that we have seen from him have been consistent. It's very unlikely they're going to pivot and change on a dime. So I think you're going to see the Jets' play calling patterns be pretty similar to what they were last year. I think a lot of the frustrations that we had last year will carry over in terms of player usage and play calling. They may improve slightly, but I still think they're going to be an issue generally. And betting on a guy to become a different head coach without being fired in his fifth year uh, without a year in between to kind of look at everything, then he's been in his first four years, doesn't seem like a safe bet to me. It's more likely he's going to be the guy he's always been, and the positives that come with that will be there, and the negatives that come with that will be there. And unfortunately for Jet fans, the negatives have outweighed the positives so far in that area of the team. Next question. Any last-minute free agent signings? This question came from Pray for Jack. I've been pretty consistent in predicting that the only notable addition I think the Jets will really make before the season starts will be Demarius Thomas at wide receiver. I think they'll bring him back for further depth. My hope is that he just does not take away playing time from Denzel Mims. I'm not expecting any other big splash at this point. Uh, I don't think it's going to be Jadavion Clowney. Maybe it's Logan Ryan if his price tag comes down a little bit, but I think the Jets are more interested in seeing what they have with this young group of corners that they collected. Again, playing into this being more of an evalu- evaluation season, they want to see what Blessong Austin could do over 16 games. They want to see what they got in the Quincy Wilson trade. They want to see if Bryce Hall can get healthy. Uh, they want to see if they should go with a long-term contract for Brian Poole. So I'm not sure that that Logan Ryan domino is going to fall. If it does, I think it would be a nice boost to the back end, but I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, I think Demarius Thomas is a safer bet because Adam Gase likes having his guys around on offense. He's got that with Frank Gore. He's got that with Ryan Griffin. He's got that with David Fales. Uh, I think you can see it again with Thomas, who on paper could be good depth to have as long as he's not taking away playing time from Denzel Mims. Question from Rich Without a K, are we getting a season? My answer is yes. The NFL is not going to leave the TV money on the table. Is it going to go off as flawlessly as the NBA? No, because they can't be in a bubble uh, in a similar way to the NBA is. Is it going to be as haphazard and plagued with issues as MLB? I don't think so. I think they're a better run league at this point, and I think hopefully they've learned from some mistakes that the MLB made. There's going to be players who opt out. We've already seen that with C.J. Mosley, and I think it's been a total of 68 other players besides him. There's going to be players who contract COVID during the season and end up sitting out. It's going to be a different type of year without fans. There's going to be travel. Players are you know, going to be 20 to 30-year-old guys who are probably going to go out when they go in different cities, unfortunately. Uh, and there's going to be some road bumps. But the NFL, even if there are no fans at the games, and even if there are players who miss big chunks of the season, will find a way to play all these games, in my mind, and play the playoffs, and play the Super Bowl, uh, to collect on their TV money and not, you know, have a hiccup to that part of their business. So 
I do think we're going to get a full season this year. I think it's going to be a weird season. Uh, but I would bet on it happening. College football, completely different you know, story. I don't necessarily think we're going to see that, but I think you will see MLB continue to you know, kind of hobble along and find a way to get the season done, and I think you'll see NFL, NBA, and NHL uh, crank along and finish their seasons, even if there are road bumps along the way. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Next question. I've uh, got a lot of questions about Mike Clay's rankings of the Jets. He had their overall roster 32nd, including Sam Darnold as the 26th best QB. This question came from Kevin Robbins in particular. Do you feel this is accurate after Douglas's offseason and from what you've seen of Sam's offseason? I think, you know, someone ranking the Jets as having the worst roster in the NFL right now without Jamal Adams and without C.J. Mosley isn't totally insane. I think you can make a fair case that Jacksonville, Washington, and a few other teams are, are behind them. I think they're a bottom five to seven roster probably, and they, they can be in that discussion uh, for the worst, depending on how a few things go. I would have Darnold higher than 26. I'm assuming he's there because of his output to date, which just on paper has not been overwhelmingly impressive. I think anyone who's followed the Jets closely knows there's been mitigating factors and knows that he's had to overcome a lot and has had a bad situation. I think from a talent perspective, he's definitely higher than that. But until there's more production, there will be people who rate him as a bottom third starter because statistically, that's what he's been the past couple of years. My hope is that he takes some type of leap this year and finds himself in the top half of the league. That is the key to the Jets improving. So, you know, would I push back and say, I don't know if the Jets are 32nd, maybe they're 28th. And I don't know if Sam is 26th, maybe he's 20th right now because you have to project more on his talent. Uh, I also think he had their cornerback group uh, 32nd in the NFL. I would say they're a touch higher than that, but you also have to realize he's looking at the Pierre Desir and Quincy Wilson we got last year who were not very good. They were good in 2018. They weren't good last year. Uh, Blisson and Austin only started a handful of games. Uh, So on paper, there are question marks, even if the ceiling is a little higher uh, than maybe a 30-second ranking would put them. There's a touch low on the interior defensive line. Uh, I think guys like Steve McClendon and uh, even Nathan Shepard and Foley Fatoukasi are a bit underrated. Offensive line, he actually had a little higher than I thought. He had them at 19th. I think they're probably still in that 22 to 23 range. A lot of questions on the interior, particularly at the guard position, and right tackle is likely still to be a weak spot. But overall, um, there's going to be a decent amount of people who say this team has a bottom five roster and picks them to win five or six games. And I don't think that's crazy on the surface. I'm pretty sure Vegas still has them at, I don't know, six and a half wins. So that that kind of lines up to you know that type of roster. I, I don't think this is a three and thirteen or four and twelve team. It's probably a six or seven win team, depending on how the schedule ultimately pans out with injuries and different things like that. Uh, question from Ethan: Realistic head coach options if Gase gets fired? It's a hard question to answer. Um, 
especially if there's not college football this year? How does that impact candidates from that level? Does it mean more try to make a jump to the NFL? Uh, does it mean less? So there's less you know, pulling out of the college ranks because there wasn't a season. Uh, I'm sure the popular names uh, would be interviewed. You'd get Eric Bieniemy in here. Maybe you'd get Kafka in here. Uh, you'd be sniffing around the 49ers staff and the Ravens staff for a lot of the names that are popularly, pop, you know, popularly circulated. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think the Jets would probably go uh, with someone from the NFL level. I'm not sure I see them going into the college ranks with or without college football. So I would focus the most likely options to come uh, from someone who's currently a coordinator uh, or position coach in the NFL right now. Next question from Ragu. Most disappointing draft pick of 2020 will be, I think it's going to be Morgan. You know, I didn't like the pick at the time. Uh, I just have a, I have a weird feeling. And maybe this isn't as weird with the situation where the Jets are going to find a way to like carry four quarterbacks this year. They're going to have Flacco floating around while he's getting healthy. They might keep fails on on ice and quarantine away from the team uh, they've talked about doing. And then you have Morgan, who you're not going to stash on a practice squad because you don't want to risk losing him. But is he ready to be Sam's primary backup as a rookie fourth-round pick? I don't know. I don't think so. I'm not really sure, you know, what the long-term trajectory is for him here. So I think that will be a pick that we're generally disappointed with. Outside of that, it's hard to say. I wasn't as crazy about the – Zaniga pick, as some people were, I hope I'm wrong because the Jets definitely need edge help. Uh, and I'm also a little wary about how many opportunities Pirine's going to get behind Frank Gore. Uh, I don't know if he's really going to make much of an impact this year, but hopefully long term he will. Outside of that, I'm really excited to see Beckton and Mims and Bryce Hall when he can get back healthy. I think Braden Mann will step in and be a great punter right away. So you got that. Uh, I'm excited about Cam Clark's long term potential. Morgan and Z- Zaniga are the two. I'm a little curious about, but I do think Morgan will ultimately kind of get that slot as a head-scratching pick that we look back on a few years from now. Question from Andy Soul: Does Lawrence Cager hit the field in 2020? I do think he'll find a way to stick on the roster. Um, you know, I think he'll get, you know, with this with an expanded roster and some flexibility around it, uh, I think he'll be around. Does he actually play? You know, if there's injuries and the Jets are out of it in the back half of the year, I could see him being someone who gets some reps and gets some targets. The Jets are really thin at receiver, right? You know, we assume the first three are going to be Perryman, Crowder, and Mims. Uh, If one of those guys gets banged up, it's a total grab bag on who's going to get those uh, reps. Is it going to be Braxton Berrios? Probably, I'd say he's the leader in the clubhouse now of all those depth receivers above a guy like Vincent Smith. You have Cager sort of in that next group along with UDFA George Campbell. Do they bring in Demarius Thomas to add a little better depth? But again, if, if Cager's on the roster and you know Perryman goes out for a few weeks, uh, it's not going to be that steep of a climb up the depth chart, which of course is a little troubling uh, for the Jets because we saw this in 2018 where they had some games when they were you know, basically starting like Rashard Matthews, Andre Roberts, and uh, Jermaine Curse. So injuries can hit at receiver, and if they do, the Jets are thin, and that can lead to some of these UDFAs or bottom of the you know roster or depth chart guys uh, getting more opportunities. Next question uh, from NY4. Opt-outs, is that a built-in excuse for Gase, and why is there Terrence uh, – why is there, uh, I'm sorry, why is there Lawrence chatter at quarterback uh, for the Jets next year? Trevor Lawrence chatter, uh, which 
is surfacing around in some different areas. First question, the Jets had one opt-out in C.J. Mosley. I think the Patriots have had like nine, uh, and other teams have had opt-outs as well. Uh, so no opt-outs and the weirdness of this season is not a built-in excuse for Gase. Every team is dealing with it, so every team is on a similar plane. At a certain point, you just have to evaluate wins and losses. And if the Jets have more losses than wins this year, I'm not sure how you bring back a coach who has done that four straight years in your division. But crazier things have happened, and I'm sure it will be commonly leveraged as an excuse. But the Jets didn't have seven players opt out. They had one who didn't play for them last year either. As much as that you know, sucks considering who he is and his contract, you can't say the entire season is a wash because C.J. Mosley opt out. In terms of the Trevor Lawrence chatter, you have to take a step back as a Jets fan and realize that when people are talking about this, they're not necessarily Jet fans. They're just looking at it as, you know, third-party football observers. Jet fans are understandably going to be more attached to Sam Darnold as their hopeful franchise quarterback. I absolutely think he has enough talent to do that, and I think in the right circumstances he can and will be a franchise quarterback. I think even if he struggles this year, I would give him another chance with a better roster and a better offensive coaching staff. But that's my opinion, and I think the opinion of a lot of Jet fans. That might not necessarily be the case for Joe Douglas and for whatever head coach is here next year if the Jets struggle. And I think the chatter is basically, if the Jets are bad this year, like really bad, like four or five wins and they're picking fifth or sixth in the NFL draft, they have a lot of collateral. Would they be aggressive and go up and get a different quarterback? And I think the thinking behind that is that if the Jets win four or five games, they're going to fire Adam Gase. So you're going to be bringing in a new head coach who might want his own quarterback. This happened with Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. Joe Douglas did not draft Sam Darnold. And again, if they're draft if they're drafting in the top five, it likely means Darnold either got hurt or had a bad year. Now, I'm not saying that if that's the case, they should pull the plug and draft Lawrence or move up to get him. But unbiased or third-party observers of the team are going to say, new head coach, GM who didn't draft Darnold, the team has been bad for three years with him, and maybe he got hurt all three years if they end up picking that high. Maybe they should do something aggressive like that. So that chatter is not going to go away until Sam Darnold really makes that quote-unquote leap and or the Jets win nine, ten games in a season with him. You know, can Darnold go out and throw for 27 touchdowns this year with only 12 interceptions and get his yards per attempt up into the mid-sevens and really very clearly be a top-half starter in the NFL? If that's the case, all that Lawrence chatter is going to go away. But if the Jets win five or six games and Darnold is, you know, good most weeks but has some really ugly weeks, it's still going to float around until we get past the draft. It's just the nature of what the NFL draft is and what the quarterback position is. It's a little silly in my mind, but it's going to happen until the Jets have a more clear future on who their head coach and who their offensive staff is going to be. And until they start winning games, you know, if you're bad every year in perpetuity, everything is on the table for change. And Jet fans should know this better than anyone. They just saw Jamal Adams get traded for two first round picks and he's a great player, but they stunk the past three years. So when you're bad, change is always on the table, even in places that you might not think makes sense for it to happen. Um, next question. 
Similar to this previous question, this one's from Joe Hornig. If Darnold has another lackluster year because of Gase and lack of help around him, what do you think J.D. could get in return from him or second or third rounder? I think it would be comparable to the Josh Rosen uh, trade. I think it was a second round pick. I think Darnold's done more certainly than Rosen has. Maybe you get a, a little higher than that. Maybe it's like a second and a fifth or a second or fourth. I don't think we're there yet. Uh, again, if you ask me to bet who the Jets quarterback will be next year, it would be Sam Darnold. I think he'll finish out his rookie contract here and probably get a second contract here uh, because I do think he's that talented. But, you know, just in the vacuum of this question, if you were looking at trade compensation, it's probably something like that, especially with uh, next year's quarterback class, regardless of what happens with this college football season. Question from Tom Golden with the Patriots opt-outs. Does your prediction for them this season change? Not really. Um, I still think they're the favorite in the AFC East. I don't think they're a 12-13 win team, but I think they're probably 10 wins, and that could be enough to win the AFC East. I think when you're picking them to win the AFC East, you're picking the infrastructure and that they've had a winning record the last 20 years. So I need to see them be bad before I believe they're going to be bad. I think Cam Newton, from everything we've heard, is healthy and is going to be motivated and play well. You have Bill Belichick, who's the best coach in the league. You have a couple other pieces here or there. Uh, throughout the roster. It's not a roster totally devoid of talent beyond that. Uh, They've definitely taken some hits on the opt-out, but it's still a stable offensive line. It's still a pretty good front seven. You'll still have Cam running around. Uh, You have a very good coaching staff, and until they're bad, it's going to be hard to believe that they're bad. So uh, I would still think they're the favorite in the AFC East until proven otherwise. So we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, question from Mitch. We'll make this our final one. What was the purpose of cutting cutting winners when we already are thin on the line? I think maybe just to free up a little more cash and to start gearing up and how they're shaping their approach for next year. I think in their mind internally, they evaluated that Alex Lewis and Van Routen were going to be the starters at guard. And maybe they felt comfortable with Cameron Clark as a long-term development backup behind them. Uh, and Jonathan Harrison is further depth and said, you know, we don't really need winners, uh, you know, floating around on the roster at his salary. Now, you can make an argument he would have been good to keep uh, for depth purposes, but I think the Jets viewed him at, as an overpaid backup who had injury concerns and, you know, wanted to move on to maybe get some younger guys on the roster more of a look. So I think that was the overall thinking behind it. Thank you, everybody, for sending your questions in. Make sure to stay tuned in on this feed iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Make sure to check out the Badlands feed tomorrow at turnonthejets.podbean.com. For me and Connor Rogers, next episode and our conversation with Chris Sims about Sam Darnold. Thank you, everybody, for listening.